Hey everyone, welcome to the Adrian Tan Show. This is my podcast where I have deep conversations with the people who are enabling organizations to become ready for the future of work. My guests include a mindfulness coach, the folks behind Singapore's most popular investment app, and many more. They all have one thing in common, and that is to help level up your organizations through your people. My guest today is the co-founder and CEO of Rewards, a mobile-first leader in digital engagement solutions for employees, sales teams, customers, and B2B partners. Headquartered in Singapore, Rewards is among the largest players and experts in digital engagement and incentives across Asia. Having served 150 clients and 250,000 users in 19 countries, it offers cloud-based mobile and web platforms and plug-in solutions for any company's engagement needs. Backed by Japan's Benefit One, Rewards remain focused on its vision of building globally relevant one-stop engagement and wellness platforms Sera and Fabulous, earning it coveted awards in the space. My guest also hails from a banking background with over a decade of experience with reputable investment banks, including JP Morgan, RBS, and Credit Suisse. Please welcome Sudhansu Tiwari. Welcome to the show, Shud. So tell us more about Rewards and what problem is it trying to solve? Thanks, Adrian, for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. Uh, yeah, so for Rewards, I will broadly the problem which we are trying to solve is the problem which almost every company faces. It's a problem of rewarding. Now, whether you want to reward your employees, your customers, your dealers, your partners, but every company has this need to reward their key stakeholders. And we at Rewards are providing solutions to solve this need. So that's, that's broadly what we do. And what motivated you to start this company in the first place? So eight years ago, we started, we went down this path eight years ago in 2013-14. And one of the key motivation for me was to build something of my own from scratch. So building my own product, building my own company from scratch, that's just starting my own startup was a very key motivation for me, firstly. And then we did it. It's uh, it started by with by me and my wife, and along with one another friend. So Nicole, Nicole is my wife, and Jay is our close friend. Three of us started this company. And Nicole comes from the HR background, so we used to have these uh, dinner table conversations where she will come home and she'll tell me a lot of the challenges she's facing in the employee engagement space. Uh, she comes from that background. She used to organize these employee wellness challenges, employee engagement activities. And back in 2013, this industry was really very nascent. There weren't any players, there weren't any technology players in this space, and especially in Asia. You will see a lot of global companies like JP Morgan using uh, US players, UK players, but nobody in Asia was trying to solve the local challenges uh, in the whole space. So that's where our thought came about, that me coming from technology background, Nicole coming from HR, and Jaya had a lot of uh, private banking corporate experience. So we put our heads together and we started Rewards. And what were you doing before this, before you started? You mentioned you were in the technology space. Yes. Uh, so before starting Rewards, I was uh, working in banks. Uh, almost I had a decade-long career in banks. Uh, so I graduated from NUS, uh, did my bachelor's in computer science and then uh, started working in almost across three banks. I worked a lot in Credit Suisse, then worked for a while in RBS, then finally my last job was in JP Morgan, and I was building trading platforms. So I started off as a programmer, moved to project manager, program manager, so I was building end-to-end -end, uh, 
trading systems for for these investment banks uh, till i reached a stage that yeah this is not exciting enough i need to do something of my own well it must be very exciting to be running your own show right now and okay. given that there's quite a number of competition out there i i like to get a better understanding of who they are and importantly what is your unfair advantage yeah so there are there are quite a few players uh, especially employee engagement is a, when we use that word it's a very broad space you can tackle it from companies who are gathering uh, surveys and feedbacks and they are also in the employee engagement space and and companies like us who are more in the rewards and recognition space so five years back you will hardly find any players in asia in this space so it were mostly global companies like uh, rewards gateway global force uh, who are achievers who are operating in this market uh, now i think there are a lot of asia asian companies especially singapore is like the 101 on asia where you see this market has definitely matured both in singapore as well as in uh, in malaysia you'll find uh, quite a few rewards and recognition companies who are coming up in india india has matured a lot uh, in the rewards and recognition space india china both of them have lot of local companies in this space so in india you have a company called zozo day uh which is a leader in that space uh, uh in malaysia there is a company called selfdriven who who who's doing very well uh, in the rewards and recognition space so so it's very healthy to see a lot of new age startup companies who have come up uh, like us uh, in the last 5 years in this space and tackling your other question what differentiates uh, rewards uh, firstly we are continuously upgrading changing improving our product so i think there is not been a single year where we have remained constant every year you will see that rewards is uh, keep including in making both horizontal and vertical progress i would say horizontal progress is in terms of features so in our existing products which we are selling to our customers uh, we'll keep adding more features which we feel is liked by the customers which we feel we ourselves internally at rewards feel that this really a great addition so that we keep doing and vertical product is that we keep going up the value chain so from earlier selling just for employees in the last two years we have started using our solutions for customer loyalty sales incentives channel incentives same product as well as now we are entering like the flexi benefit space which is traditionally only done by insurance broker so that's really changing the changing our target customer and trying to sell to more customer and from being a good to have product in the hr space we are becoming a essential product so that's one uh, that's first main advantage that we we keep evolving as a product and secondly over the years because we started when there was hardly nobody in the market 6 years ago we have built a huge network of merchants so we are probably the only players who have across asia we cover almost each country in asia so 19 countries are covered so that's not possible for a player or a competitor who's just started who's a very recent player or who's only based in single market so that differentiates us on deals for multinational for regional clients who's looking for a regional player who can serve all their offices So that's the second key advantage, which is because of our first mover advantage and being in this industry for a long time, we have we have gained. And then, as throughout the years, we have gained a lot of clients. So, uh, and uh, we really pride ourselves in how we manage our clients, how we support our clients. So, 
So we gain a lot of word of mouth. Uh, we have a lot of clients vouching for our service, which helps us get some of those uh, key deals. And the lastly, the investment we have as a financially backed by one of the top 200 companies in Japan. We are very stable financially. We, we don't have any counterparty risks which clients worry about or partners worry about. Uh, financially, we are very stable backed company with a very healthy cash balance uh, to grow. So that those those are the key areas, Adrian, where how we differentiate ourselves from uh, incumbents. That's really interesting to know, and I have so many questions to ask you. But maybe first of all, uh, given that you're in so many different countries, you get exposed to how each of these operate and the differences between each of them. How does the employee rewards and recognition landscape looks like in Asia? And maybe you could pick Singapore and another country for comparison. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and very good example will be Singapore and across the border Malaysia. How does it differ? It's just uh, it's it's two countries just cross each other, but the landscape is completely different. And it's amazing how how the whole landscape is so advanced in in Singapore. The clients really know what they want in this space. When a request comes to us, it's very crystal clear that what their requirements are going to be. And that is, that's probably because Singapore is the headquarter of a lot of global companies and regional companies. So the, whether either the CHRO or sales head is very well aware of the global trends, looking at their global offices, or sometimes it's a global employee, a senior MD who moves to Asia and sets up the Asia office. So he's very, very familiar what the global trends are. And then... He's familiar with the players in this space globally, and he's looking for similar service in Asia. So in Singapore, we see very mature players operating, both the global players and the local players. And the rewards and recognitions offering is almost reaching equivalent to US, UK, Australia, where this, this whole industry is very, very mature. I would say, I think in two, three years time, this will be a very mature market as, as, as those markets. Whereas in Malaysia, just as soon as we went there, I think some of the products which we were selling there two years ago in Malaysia, they are still considered very new. Something like flexi benefits, uh, which insurance brokers have been selling here for the last 20 years, it's not there in Malaysia. Even your top 5% companies do not have flexi benefits platform, which is, which is a platform which is one step ahead of us. First, you probably have a flexi benefits platform and then you'll have a day-to-day -day spot recognition platform, which we sell. So there we, are, we had to change our offering. We started, okay, there's a huge potential for flexible benefits, and that's why we, we upgraded our platform to include flexi benefits offering and started offering in Malaysia. So I would say Malaysia will take some more time to mature and reach that stage, but it's a huge market. Like when we look at the employee strength in Singapore, because it's a headquarter market, but you don't see those many employees, but the numbers are like 500 to 2,000. Whereas in Malaysia, any company you go, the employee strength is huge. So there are pros and cons. But for us, Singapore market is very key and very crucial because what it ends up happening for a B2B company like us here is that we can, we can meet the key stakeholder. We can meet the senior people because it's the headquarter and sitting here, they can just roll out regionally. So that, that has helped us a lot. And it's, I think, it's a unique selling point for Singapore for a lot of B2B uh, software as a service companies like us. And in, in its current iteration, who would you 
defined as the ideal target user or, or companies to consider rewards? So as a user, we sell to HR, uh, your CHROs, comp and band specialists, employee engagement specialists. So that's for the employee engagement side. But we also have a product for customer loyalty, and there we go to the marketing heads, people managing channel marketing, uh, direct B2B2C is our offering there, where we sell to companies who use our product for directly to their customers. So we will sell to marketing, channel marketing heads. And then the dealer incentives, like these are, these are for resellers, for your partners who are selling your products. So for that, we talk to distributors, uh, sales heads, people managing channel, uh, channel partners. So those, those kind of uh, directors in the company, sales directors, uh, channel, uh, channel engagement leads, we will sell to them. Or well, charging, it's mainly based on subscription. So we'll have one-time setup to set up our platform. Uh, that's, that's minimal. And then it's uh, based on uh, subscription or usage. So people buy points with us, and if there's like it's for customer loyalty, and there you're buying a huge points budget, it's based on points usage, usage mostly a transaction base. Otherwise, it, it's uh, per person per month for, especially in the dealer incentives and employee engagement space. And given that we are currently in the midst of a pandemic, I'm very certain it has affected your business as well as your clients who has been using rewards. Tell us more about that. Firstly, let's focus on your business. How, how has the pandemic treat, been treating you in, in your business? Yeah, I, I mean, we were quite, as, as with any, a lot of other businesses, we were quite concerned in the beginning when the phase one lockdown started, that how will this affect? But actually, strangely, we haven't been affected. We are, we are able to meet our targets, which we set at the start of the year. At January, what we set ourselves our targets, we are looking very good for uh, on those targets this year as well. So overall, we haven't been affected that much. Uh, and there's a, and once we analyzed it, we knew what the reason is. So I think this pandemic has been a bit of a strange phenomenon that some businesses have really badly been affected. Uh, if you are in the tourism and the hotel industry, of course, you're very, very badly in infected, but affected. But if you are, but other businesses are really booming. So your e-commerce, pharma companies, companies into the uh, B2C companies, they are they are really booming in this space. So overall, net 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 net, since we are in the B2B space, we are still getting a lot of requests for customer loyalty. That's a booming business for us. Com companies worried about the employee wellness. Uh, so employee rewards and recognition budget have gone down slightly uh, in some cases where employee companies who are very budget conscious, they are cutting down on it, but they are equally worried about the employee wellness. In fact, a lot of companies are concerned about the employee wellness and our offering in that space is seeing a lot of traction. So net-net, uh, we are actually still aiming for 200% growth, and that's what we said at the start of the year. That's great also, to know. And, and wellness yeah. is definitely a, a, a word that has been popping up in many of my conversations. Perhaps you can right. help the audience to understand more about your uh, wellness offering. What exactly is it and what, what, how could uh, co companies look into using it? Right. And we did a lot of work and continue to do a lot of work. In fact, in the next uh, one month, uh, we are going to make a uh, uh, lot of changes, uh, launch a new product in the wellness, mental wellness space. So, so what we have been doing so far 
is mainly help companies engage employees by organizing wellness challenges like steps challenge, weight loss challenge, and then rewarding people for it, the people who excel the goals there, rewarding them for that. So that's what we have been doing, and that's that's our that's that's been our stable business for the last uh, three, four years. We started it in 2015-16, again a very first mover advantage in the market. There weren't any players then. But since then, it's been a stable, growing business uh, for us, uh, mostly primarily focusing on physical wellness. Uh, we hadn't gone much into mental wellness so far, and that's what we are going to do. This year, we are going to work with another company and integrate their product to track mental wellness as well of our employees, so just do a check-in on them daily, how they are doing, and, and use that as an integrated offering with our other wellness challenges. What we also did as the very early, as soon as the pandemic set in, we came up with this Sustave Our program. So we started organizing for all our clients online wellness classes, uh, physical wellness, yoga, mental wellness classes, talks. This is something which we are not doing. We were not really an events company, but it was a need of the hour. I think that all our clients were struggling with this need that everybody was stuck at home and there was no way to engage employees. You, not so easy to organize step challenges when people are locked down at home. So within two weeks, we, we set up our network to launch this TAVAR program where companies can subscribe with us and get access to very, very curated, well-curated uh, wellness classes. So that's how we have been dealing and offering and keep changing our offering in this pandemic space for, uh, uh, pandemic space for our clients. And given that you're in the B2B SaaS space, it must be quite interesting for you to have gone from where you were until today. Could you share with us some of your insights as well as the challenge in uh, your B2B SaaS experience, especially selling to an audience in the HR department primarily? Because based on my interaction and my understanding, HR typically would not get the bulk of uh, budget when it comes to expenses. And trying to get them to spend anything beyond a placement fee can often be very challenging. What's your thought on that? Yes. Yeah, I think B2B sales, uh, when we started this company, we didn't, we underestimated the problem that uh, we thought once we have a great product and we have our first client, the problem is solved. But it doesn't work like that. I think the whole, every, pro every company has its own unique challenges. Uh, even though you're selling the same product, you may have to accommodate the different requests, uh, different company cultures, how they are running their current programs. So all this, we completely underestimated that how difficult it is to replicate what you have learned from one company to the next company. So that was one big learning for us. So I'll tell you a funny story that when I started and we got our first big client, uh, uh, this, uh, it was NUHS, uh, it's a hospital, they, they, it's a 7,000 people uh, company and we got them as our first client after struggling for three, four months. Uh, really young startups have just launched their product or the product was probably not even launched, just going to launch. And we managed to get this company, NUHS. Uh, uh, we were just there at the right time. They were looking for our employee perk solution, and, and we were at the right time at the right place. Uh, there, and there weren't, there weren't any players doing that. Uh, and we were very happy. We thought, like, we have, this is, it. this is it. We have got the best deal. Now we will implement NUHS, and then if all other hospitals will start calling. Then we can replicate it to other big organizations of the same size. But, <laughs> But after we launched and we slogged for three months, launched the program, 
everything went well, client was very happy, but the phones didn't ring. Nobody called us after that. <laughs> we again have to start from scratch. Started understanding what we do well, calling, pitching, improving our SEO, SEM. So it, did, it does take a lot of time, and I think you have to hire a lot of good salespeople for B2B sales. You can't rely just on the product, which is a very key mistake, a uh, very simple mistake, which a lot of first-time entrepreneurs do, that they rely too much on the product, that product will sell itself. It doesn't happen. You have to focus on sales, your sales strategy, investing in the right salesperson. And I say right salesperson because maybe you may hire a, a very good salesperson, but he's good at selling cars, not your own product. Your product could be much more sophisticated than a car. So a car salesperson won't fit in. So you need to hire a very good salesperson who is a right fit for a product, understands your sales strategy, understands your product as a founder does, and then go ahead and sell it. For a lot of founders, it is very difficult to sell, if, especially if you're coming from a product background and, and you're just so passionate about your own product. You're just so passionate that sometimes you just can't see it from the client side. And all these learnings, I mean, we have learned over the years, seeing how our sales team, our best salesperson perform, we, we learn from them. So yeah, I mean, I think I hope these cover some of the challenges. I think <laughs> I, I can go on and on on this topic. <laughs> And, and earlier on, you also mentioned about the investment that you have received. And I understand that you actually got in strategic investor compared to VC. So could you help to help us understand how, how, how does that work? What exactly do you mean by strategic investor? And how is it different from working with or getting investment from a VC per se? Right. I think I'll take a step back and, and for, the, for, for explaining this whole topic of investment, I think there is a very singular view in the market where raising investment means chasing a VC. Uh, obviously, a lot of people, everybody, almost everybody, if you start and bootstrap, will raise investment either through themselves or through their family or friends. I think that's, that's same for everybody. But after that, second stage, yes, most companies will raise investment through an angel investor. And from there, people think, I think there is a common misconception that after that, your only way to grow is to raise money from a VC. And a lot of companies don't fit that bracket of VC investment. So as, as a founder, I think once you know your idea and uh, I think you should know very early what kind of investment you are going to raise, whether it's from a VC or through other sources, whether your, whether your company is fit for VC investment, because there are a lot of alternate ways of raising investment. Raising VC investment is not the only way. So I think answering that question for yourself, for the founders, is very important. Probably at the idea level or once you have the product fit stage, once you have proven your product works for your target audience and you know your next four or five years strategy, you need to ask yourself, is your business fit for VC investment? Because traditionally, VCs will always look for like 1,000% growth, very aggressive expansion plans. Don't focus on profit, focus on growth numbers, revenue numbers. Now, this may, may not be your cup of tea. Your business may not be suited to it. You personally may not want to do that. So if, if you don't want that, but all businesses do need funding to grow. 
so if you don't want that, there are other ways of investment. So which is what we did with. And, and I think I realized it very early. I think I, I had this conversation. I also didn't know that VC investment is the only investment after one or two years of starting rewards. I was chasing VCs. And when it wasn't going anywhere, I think one of our good VC friends gave me this advice and showed me other ways of raising investment. There are other modes of investment. You have family houses which will definitely invest in you and they are looking for more stable businesses. You have your strategic investors, which is what we went with. So a strategic investor is somebody who is in the same business as you, but much ahead of you. And they have crossed that bridge, what you are still trying to cross. So, so benefit one who is our investor is a strategic investor uh, like that. They, are, they have been in this business since 1995. Uh, they have 9 million users. Uh, they have grown to be a $2 billion company. And they are listed, they are among the top 200 by market cap in Japan Stock Exchange. Japan means stock exchange. So it's a pretty big size company in the same business as us. So firstly, if you are not able to raise VC investment, it doesn't mean that your business idea or your business cannot grow. Your business can still go to be a billion dollar company and a public listed and you can be very successful by raising investment through other channels. And Benefit One did it themselves and, and we hope to do the same. And also other modes could be like debt instruments. There are a lot of debt funding available now, which you can raise. So that, that's that, that's what strategic investment is. Yeah, I hope I explained myself well there. And your experience with a uh, Japanese investor, how was that like for you? Yeah, that's a very interesting one. I think a uh, lot of learnings there. Uh, and I must say that I think first couple of years were pretty difficult lack of better words. I think I, I may have almost thought of uh, giving up. I think a couple of times we I thought of giving up. But I think the good thing was that we managed to discuss things and align our goals. And I think now we are at a very, very, very good, healthy relationship. They have been with us for the last four years. And I think the initial trouble was mainly because of the language difference. Uh, uh, none of us in my team, including myself, spoke Japanese. Uh, Nicole, my wife and co-founder, knows a bit of Japanese, understands it, but not fluent enough. And then the cultural differences, the working style, it's very different. I think in Japan, the the way they work is that if you commit to a goal, like even if you miss it by 5%, uh, it's not acceptable. They're very, very focused on if you're setting some plans, uh, you have to meet those plans and goals. And coming from startup background, how we, how especially also startups raise business plans, write projections for VCs, uh, we are, tend to be but a bit more optimistic. So I think that from the, from the strategic investment perspective and the way they run their businesses, you have to be realistic and what you commit is what you need to meet. So I think that took us time to align ourselves, our, our understanding. Uh, also, I think building trust because you come from a very different culture. Japan works in a very insular way and that's why Benefit One has grown huge inside Japan. They are such a multi-billion dollar company, one of the leaders in the space, and there are a couple of other companies like Benefit One, almost the same size. To work with a uh, Singaporean company where the working culture, language differences are so different that for them also it took time to build trust with us. So it took us one year, two years to build that trust. One of the things which really helped us a lot is having a bridge person who is uh, kind of neutral and understands both parties very well. So we, we had this uh, Benefit One Overseas Director 
who came and sits with us. Uh, he is in the same office with us. Uh, he doesn't have in Singapore. They don't have any other staff, so he sits with us. And with that, we formed a very good relationship with him. We formed a very good relationship uh, because we work with him daily. He knows us. I mean, once he are sit he's sitting with us, he knows what we are doing, how much effort we are doing. The deals we are getting are all real deals. Our growth is really amazing. So he sees that pro uh, progr this progress firsthand. And then he communicates that to the Japanese counterparts and they get a good sense of what we are doing. So that built, built a lot of trust uh, between us. And then whenever we have uh, any funding uh, requirements or we need their help with a certain client, uh, he helps connect with them in their local language. So that proved to be a proved to be very good for us. After a couple of years, we had this person sitting with us. And since the last two years, uh, our relationship has really improved. Uh, we are planning to do another big fundraise with them next year in March, uh, with which uh, we would like to open up new markets like Vietnam and Philippines, uh, where we plan to go with a new fundraising as well as ex expand our customer loyalty space. Uh, we are more in the employee engagement, but we want to expand our presence and product in the customer loyalty space. So we will use that with that next round of funding. And hopefully in three years' time, we'll go to IPO with them. Fantastic. So for for any company that might currently be considering getting investment from a Japanese company, if they were to come to you for an advice, what would be the key takeaway you're going to share with them? Respect the culture. I think you have to, you can't, with the Japanese, you have to understand their culture and, and try to gel with it. Like I personally took a lot of Japanese lessons. I'm still taking them. In the last two years, apart from this benefit one overseas director who knows Japanese, we have hired two more staff who understand Japanese. So the same like with these staff and myself also appreciating the culture. It's very important for founders to do that, that they feel that uh, they can be trusted. So, so we did that. So I'll, I'll really... I really suggest that as an advice that uh, try to appreciate their culture, whether it's even the food, language, how, whichever way you can show that to build that trust between the two, which is very, very important. It doesn't go one way. You can't expect them to come uh, try to learn your culture. I think you should do your you should do your homework and do as much as possible to understand Japanese culture. And the second is yeah, find this bridge person. If you can find a bridge person to act as a mediator between you and, and your counterpart, that your investor, that will really help. And and the third, as I was saying, is that if you commit to something, you better hit those targets. So if you're committed to a business plan, you have to be very particular about it. Track your business plan on a monthly basis because that will lose that trust which you have built. So you can do everything else right, but if you don't uh, meet the business plan which you have committed to them, that will cause a big bit of a setback to the relationship. And in you definitely have mentioned quite a number of things which were, our audience would be very interested in. You mentioned about the customer loyalty program. So in totality, what's next for rewards? What would be on your roadmap and what market product expansion plan you would have right now? Yeah, so next year we are definitely looking at uh, uh, going into new markets with a new fresh injection of funds. So Vietnam is looking very good for us. So uh, we plan to launch in that market. We have had a lot of incoming leads from that market. Uh, I think it's a mature market uh, where we think we can see the growth we saw in Malaysia. So as a market, we will target uh, Vietnam uh, as, as to go next and perhaps after that Philippines. So Vietnam, Philippines uh, are, are two key markets for us. Uh, 
And on the product side, we are actually launching three new products in the next three months, and it's a very busy phase for us. As I was mentioning, we are we're planning to integrate uh, on the mental wellness side with a product called Joy. They are a new player in the space, but we really like that offering. So Rewards and Joy will integrate our offering and, and provide a complete wellness solution which covers the mental wellness side. And we'll continue to add a lot more on the mental wellness side, as well as a flexible benefits platform. So we are trying to launch a platform uh, with one of the major insurance player in the region, one of the regional uh, leaders in the insurance space. Uh, we are trying to become their flexible benefits uh, provider so that they can go direct to the clients without the need of brokers. So that's another big offering in the market. And finally, it's the customer loyalty space, as I was mentioning. Uh, we have been very dominant in the employee space, but we feel our product and our network can be very easily used for clients who are looking solutions for their customers to engage their customers, to reward their customers. So, so we will target even SMEs and anybody who is launching an app to gain new customers, uh, they can use our product. So we, we are launching a new product called Spur, which will be used in this space. So, so yeah, that's, that's lots, lots happening in the product space as well. With so much happening, would you happen to be hiring right now? Yes. Uh, yeah, actually, we just finished a very big round of uh, hiring. We almost increased our staff strength size by 30% in the last one month. So now everybody is in the onboarding stage at the moment. A lot of people are joining, joined last week and will be joining whole of this month and, uh, and November. Uh, and then we'll probably let them settle down for now, for next, I mean, it's end of the year also. Uh, so we'll probably settle down for the next two, three months. And then with the March, April time, we may start hiring again for new markets and these new product launches. And for people who is willing, uh, who's interested to find out more about rewards, where can they go to? Well, you can check out our site, rewards.sg. I think it has most of the information and we are regularly updating it. Uh, it's quite up to date. As well as my check out my LinkedIn page. Uh, I do drop regular updates about what we are doing, where we are participating on, on, on my LinkedIn. Thank you so much. So thanks for your time today. Lovely having conversation with you. Uh, and I hope thanks this the audience will find it interesting as well. And I'll be sharing all the stuff that Sud has shared in the show notes so that you can find out more. Once again, thank you for your time today. Thanks a lot, Adrian. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the podcast. You can refer to the show notes for links to more information about our guests and their businesses. If you enjoyed this podcast, it will be helpful to give a review on iTunes or follow me on Spotify. If you're using Overcast, please hit the star button under the episode. That will help get this podcast and the episodes out to more people who may find it useful. I will see you in the next episode of The Adrian Tan Show. 